Oh yes, hello friends, welcome back to the show. I'm joined by old-time guest and long-time friend, Sonny Webster. Today we are catching up about what's been going on in his life over the last year since we were together. Since then, a lot has changed, not least that he is now on the opposite side of the planet in Australia, but we discuss an awful lot. Principally, his approach to resilience in life. And I have to say that this gets at the heart of one of the things that I think is making Sonny such an effective business professional and um, such a robust personality online, that he is capable of dealing with setbacks, whether they be normal day-to-day things or huge life changes. He's able to roll through them. So getting that insight is really interesting and hopefully going to be of massive benefit to some of you today. Also expect to learn about a gym that he's building in Africa, I think, in Kenya, perhaps somewhere. Uh, what else has he got going on? Some updates about the Sunny Webster Academy, some principles for lifting, all of that good stuff. And we have a great laugh as well. Sunny, you're a gent. Thank you very much for coming on. For now, please welcome Sunny Webster. I managed to get him all the way from the other side of the planet. It's Sonny Webster. Hiya, mate. Hey, Chris. How you doing, brother? Yeah, good to see you, man. How's how's life in the future? Because you're in the future right now. I'm not being funny, mate. This is a long overdue chat. I can't. When was the last time I was on the podcast? Uh, over a year ago now. So it was that same weekend that we did. Was it the same weekend we did Elro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lost, yeah. Which was also Lost years off my life that weekend. Coincidentally, the, the the last time that I drank in the UK. So it's been like eighteen. Really? Yeah, wow. man. That was that was the last time that I drank in the UK. So it'll be like what fourteen months or something now since then. I'm not saying that going out with you like cursed drinking. But it, was, it was. a... I think I've done that to a few people though. So you, you wouldn't be well. the first. You are, like, before we even start talking about anything, can we discuss about your ability to drink? Because like, I've never met anyone who is able to go out, like, on the, on the lash, the way you are, and then get up the next morning and just go and do, teach a seminar in Scotland or something. You got up at, like, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. I didn't, I didn't surface until, like, the middle of the <laughs> afternoon. By the time that I'd got out of bed, you'd done a seminar in Glasgow or something. Do you know what? I think it's a thing with weightlifters is it's part of like the growing up is you have to be able to drink. You will never become a great weightlifter if you can't drink. I remember right back from a young age, I must have been 14 years old going on weightlifting training camps and the more senior athletes would say to you, right on a Friday night after training, you're coming to the pub with us and you're having a drink. And you don't really have a choice. You do as you're told because they're much bigger and much stronger than you. And you want to fit in. And it becomes part of, I guess, the nature of, you know, being a weightlifter, especially the way that we go about, you know, competition. Mm. You would train really hard for like six weeks, seven weeks, maybe up to six months on end for a competition. And you won't drink at all. So then you blow out. So your ability at binge drinking becomes extremely good. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely something that you're capable of. I suppose as well, like, 
Weightlifters, are, there's a lot of muscle mass in there. They can probably metabolize their alcohol pretty quick. And they're, they're competitive. You're literally bred to be competitive. So yeah, <laughs> com- competitive drinking, I can imagine, is pretty bad. But what else is going on, man? Because like, So the last time that the listeners will have seen you, you were in the UK. You were, um, yeah, I don't think you'd even started uh, like the Sunny Webster Academy by then. So like catch us up over the last year. What's happened? Yeah. Well, I guess before I saw you end of last year, I was just sort of planning uh, my tour to Australia. I mean, I was definitely going through a period at the time after we last chatted of not feeling completely settled in the UK. Um, It took me a long time to really realize that because I was continually going on these trips to Doha, going on these trips to Europe to do seminars. And as much as I was enjoying traveling, every time I came back, the next seminar seemed to act almost as an escape away from um, being in the UK. And it wasn't until I'd actually left the UK that I began to realize that. Um, I guess, I don't know if it was more for me wanting to, you know, spread my wings and experience a new new country as a kind of a sign there for me. But obviously I went away then on the big Australia tour and uh, it was life-changing you know I, I fell in love with the place fell in love with a beautiful lady and um, it was only fitting then that I moved away there then in January so towards the end of my tour when I met um, my new girlfriend Lindell we uh, decided to go to um, Bali for Christmas together and we had the most amazing time Christmas and New Year and then it was like she lives in Sydney. I live in England. If we're going to have a go at making this work, one of us has to budge. And she sure as hell wasn't <laughs> coming to rainy England. So it was quite an easy decision which uh, which end of the world we were going to head up in. But, I mean, I obviously just bought my place in Bristol, uh, which I've still got. But it's amazing when you really want to be somewhere else that bad, how quickly you can make the change. And I think, like, so many people are – are scared and fearful of change or something new but I'm kid you not I lived in Bristol for seven years and I managed to pack up my whole life in seven days and uh, move to the other side of the world <laughs> I mean you are quite well uh, well experienced at packing things up I've seen you again in Bristol I've seen you pack pack up after a night out with me to go and do like I can't remember where you were going maybe a Marbella or Ibiza or something like that yeah you you moved pretty quick it was all that you had in your suitcase was like two pairs of lifters a pair of off-white sliders and um some shorts and that was it and you're like I'll just get the rest I'll get the rest when I'm there um but no yeah you're right one thing that people might not know is you've actually got a Aussie passport, right? Or you've got Aussie citizenship or something? I've got one better. I've got New Zealand one. New Zealand passport, is that it? <laughs> yeah, New Zealand one, which kind of works the same here. It's kind of like having a, you know, an Irish passport, I guess. Um, so I can stay here in Australia on that visa. But do you know what? It's mental because I'm still traveling so much. I could come and go on my travel visa and no one even know. Really? So all of the all still of the, moving every month. all the excuses that people have, where they might think, "Oh, I, I don't really understand how the the visas work," or "I don't have citizenship in the same way that Sonny does," or whatever. If there's a will, there's sort of a way a lot of the time. 
yeah i know i've got do you know what i know so many people living here in sydney from back in back in the uk that have either come here and been sponsored getting jobs or um have done the farming it's not easy but like anything if you really want to make it happen you have to uh, you put the work in what's james and Dirin doing are they doing the farming i can imagine i can see those two on a farm no, so Dieran, Dieran actually had a de facto from a previous relationship that he was here. He was with someone for seven years from Australia. So he was here a long time ago uh, right, yeah, with yeah. the next partner of his. And then James, obviously, his business is based here. So he has a business visa. So he can stay here on, on those those terms. Fucking red tape so avoiding bastards. They're just yeah. sneaking around, leaving the UK, leaving the rain behind and going out somewhere cool. Those boys, yeah, they run on a different time clock to me. Those boys are in bed at like nine and they're in the cafe at six, which, you know, I'm like more of an upper seven and work till like midnight. But it does, as soon as you wake up in the morning, then you feel like you're on the back foot and you've got FOMO already and it's only like seven o'clock because they're already done like their work and email, especially as you work in the same field. Yeah, James is 20 Instagram stories deep and he's already done his his email for the week and all that (laughs) bullshit. And then there's you still trying to drag drag your coffee out. (laughs) Yeah, you're like that. Pinning your eyes open. There you go. So... Mm. What's been going on recently, other than, obviously, you've got yourself out to Oz, you've managed to find a girlfriend, you now moved in with Lyndall as well, right? Yeah, moved in with Lyndall, it was her birthday this weekend. So Happy birthday, uh, Lyndall. I finally, yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's watching her program in the, in, the, in the bedroom. But yeah, for me, I think initially it took me a while to get settled, find my routine here. Um, obviously, I just launched the Sunny Webster Academy, um, which has been amazing it's been great to be able to help more people that was the key thing with the academy was that whenever i'm doing these seminars i have to travel halfway around the world and i'll be able to impact 30 people's lives on that given day and yes i know they'll come away for pb and they'll have a great experience but i wanted to be able to offer that to a wider audience and something that meant that I didn't have to travel so much because it was taking so much away from, as much as I love traveling, away from my time and my endeavors and enjoyment in my own training, you know, because it's massively affected every time you travel away, every time you spend time in the air, you fall out, your sink in your routine. And before you know it, I'm not improving and I still love my lifting. So mm. um, I had to, with the academy, find a way of accessing more people without having to move so much. And um, I've learned so much in a year. I can't believe that, you know, it was only a year ago pretty much to this day that I launched the Sunny Webster Academy properly. And already we've had thousands of customers and we've got, you know, a lot of customers online now that are on the subscription that I'm able to work with, which has been, you know, it's been great. And I've been learning so much more about what people want and how to work with people over the Internet in and it kind of is is the future now, really. Mm, it's interesting that it's something both like kind of selfish for your own gains, but selfless as well mm-hmm. because it allows you to scale. You are right. Like we were uh, we were talking about this with regards to my business, which is Club Promo, right? Like if I have to be the person that stood on the door, there's only ever one of me. I can't scale the mm. business beyond maybe at best like one night per week, like every night of the week. And it's like fucking hell, yeah. like, that's so much graft. But you're totally right. We've got our first online course, which is in beta testing at the moment, which is going super well. And I've been able to distill down the same way you have a lot of things that I've spoken to people about face to face. 
and then you've condensed it yeah. down into a format that is convenient for people and they can deal with it that way. And, you know, uh, like, like you say, it's nice that you've got this opportunity to reach, to reach a wider audience whilst not sacrificing the results that people are getting on the back end. Um, so yeah. And, and, and just, and yourself and your own, your own health, but it's, it's so much harder than people think it is. Like, I can't stress that enough. Like you think being an online coach is easy. It's no problem. You get a membership site and off you go. It's, it's really not that easy. What's the challenges? What are the challenges that you've found particularly? I think um, maintaining a high level of service for the people that you work with. Um, keeping up to date with people in different time zones. You know, that's been a massive thing for me. Like, it's easy if everyone wakes up at seven and everyone goes to bed at, at 10. And you know, if you schedule your live at nine o'clock to interact with everyone as a whole, everyone's going to be up. Right now, we've got people from all different parts of the world on the academy. It's very diff- difficult to sync with them. Mm. Also, different standards of people and people require different levels of coaching. And when you offer... Um, an online platform you kind of speak one language okay to your people uh, initially anyway because you have the, the program but then it's realized like well you don't like getting sworn to when uh, when I'm teaching you how to lift but some people like that encouragement mm-hmm. and it's kind of tailoring your service to the masses of people and you need to have different levels and it's taken me ages and months and months and months of tailoring and refining the programs and products that we've got online to appeal to everyone and you're never going to keep everyone happy but that's definitely one of the biggest challenges i've found and then retaining yeah i suppose that the issue there is you need to have a you need to have a program which is sufficiently similar that it doesn't require you to write every person's program absolutely individually every single day plus do a 20 minute phone call with them because you couldn't reach enough people but then you also need yeah. to balance that with a level of personalization, which ensures that the the language that you're using, the sort of communication, like you've said there, something I totally didn't even think about time zones and ensuring that people have got access at the right times and stuff like that. So one thing that you've touched on there is your own lifting, your own training at the moment. Obviously, the last time that we spoke, I think you would have probably still classed yourself primarily as an athlete. What what do you see yeah. yourself as now? Do you see yourself as athlete coach or as a coach? Has there been a transition there? Yeah, I definitely still love, you know, the competitive side of training myself. Um, so, I mean, I'm still in the gym five, six days a week focusing on my own training, but it's very different now. I aim for doing maybe one or two exercises a day and doing it really well and doing my mixture of CrossFit and weightlifting. And then, yeah, I'd say I'm definitely, I've been coaching now for seven years. So I've been in that coach athlete role for a while now, but I'm definitely putting more of the emphasis, I'd say 60, 40 between coaching at the moment than I am on on my athlete side of things. How have you found relinquishing that thread attached to the balloon? Because obviously, no matter how much you love coaching, there is a particular type of itch that needs to be scratched by competition and you're right now you're unable to do that yeah well i mean that was you know a heartbreaking stage in in my life and as you would have listened to to james's podcast it was the first time that i'd actually 
last year felt in the right place to um, discuss my doping ban and, you know, how it's affected me moving forward. You know, weightlifting's been the biggest part of my life ever since I was 11 years old and to have that taken away from you um it's very difficult i suppose it's i can only liken it to if there's anyone listening is probably losing losing a loved one or something very similar because it made up so much of my life and still does and yes it is like an itch now for me when you know i still have that burning desire to um want to compete and to be competitive and it's something you know that i can't do now yeah I, you know having been around you for quite a while and having been mates with you for quite a while it's one thing that I do think is impressive is your resilience over the last sort of 18 months you know there's been a number of setbacks like the the first your first band and then like a subsequent kind of additional uh like kicking the balls after that as well um and yeah and that appears to be continuing not just with competition but with like coaching as well yeah, I mean, so obviously my initial ban was was four years. Um, I then received a further um, three-year ban for um, coaching athletes that compete was what they gave me the second ban for. Um, so that totaled my ban to seven years. Um, and even so now, I mean, right back to when I first came to Australia, um, Australian Weightlifting Federation, New Zealand Weightlifting Federation were putting in the news and stuff like that to say if anyone attends Sunny's weightlifting seminars who's a competitive athlete then um you're impeding uh, a doping violation and therefore you could get banned as well and it's been the first time that they've ever tried to impact these sort of levels of rules on anyone and you know for myself serving currently a seven-year ban one of the longest bans in weightlifting especially for an out of hours out of competition test in which you know i pursued my case and gave it a bloody good go at proving that it had come from contamination and wasn't um ingested knowingly um and i did everything i possibly could to attempt to prove that and still to come away with that level of severity of ban was you know it was heartbreaking but you know it's like i said back on james's podcast um as heartbreaking as that was, and it was a very low point in my life after that, I had to draw a line in the sand if I was ever going to be able to move on with my life and go, yeah, this is the most terrible thing that could ever happen to you. And at this point, I'd only had the four years, but I need to continue on with my life. I need to um, continue to spread my passion and love for the sport. Um, And, you know, who's to say that I would never have come back and competed again but after having spoken out about that last time was when I received the, the second three years. So do you think, uh, um, do I'm you th- not going to talk. Do you think that you would have got that, or, or do you think that speaking out and perhaps publicising what happened on James's podcast led to that additional three years at least hastening its arrival or light, improving the likelihood of it happening? A hundred percent. You know, there was nothing that was brought up about it. Prior to that, but I think, you know, having spoken out about the topic in such detail um, with James, it definitely was put in front of, you know, the people probably within um, UCAD. And, you know, I definitely think it stimulated that three-year ban going going into action, you know. And 
I spoke quite brutally about, you know, the circumstances that there are now in the way that UCAD deal with cases such as Tyson Fury's, where he threatened to sue them. He was caught with an anabolic steroid. He threatened to sue them. He's got more money than UCAD and they let him off with it, you know, and it does become a point of if you've got enough money or you're protected by the right people, mm. you don't reap the same, um, same, I guess, judgment. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't but deal anyway, with the punishment like in the said, same way. Without go, yeah, without going into that with too much detail, and yeah, I do believe it had something to do with the three years that continued. That was just a further kick in the nuts. I mean, I had thought about, like I said, potentially coming back to competing because you know I'm I'm aware that um, I motivate and inspire a lot of people, and I want to continue to do that. And I think through competition, that was you know a massive motivation for people um to see how you know i perform and what i do on the back end that was definitely something that was different between what i did as a weightlifter compared to a lot of other weightlifters that i did share um my training my bad days my good days and tried to always give that to people as a lesson to learn from you know what i do when i have a shit training session and that's the thing that's no different whether you're an elite level athlete or you're just starting your journey in fitness is you both have bad days. You'll continue to have those bad days. You'll have days where you miss lifts. You'll have days where you don't feel like training. It's still the same either, either end of the scale that you're at. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from experienced athletes in the way they deal that. So it makes that learning curve for new people much smoother. Mm, yeah. Again, coming back to the resilience thing, I, I have to say, man, like I, I'm even from the, the first time that we met each other, which was body power last year, I've always been quite impressed with your resilience and that's resilience. Like it's kind of a blanket coverage of resilience, right? So it's your resilience to hangovers, your resilience to setbacks, setbacks and other bits and pieces professionally, personally, in terms of your sporting career, stuff like that. Because um, one of the first conversations that we ever had when, when we were at Body Power, you'd had quite some vitriol comments by some other people in the uh, weightlifting community. I don't, I don't know whether they were like um, officials or more like athletes or whatever, but there were some people that were unhappy. They were, they were, they were friends. <laughs> well, they weren't. even worse. <laughs> not, not, not after that. Um, but yeah, like we had these sorts of comments with people and what you said this thing to me and it really stuck with me and it still does now, which was that um, after you'd had your ban, people weren't prepared with just destroying your sporting career. They wanted to be able to destroy your ability to make money or to have a livelihood as well. And that really fucking hit home to me. And I was like, Jesus, like this, this guy, like, you know, is, is now trying to, splinter off into whatever small sliver of weightlifting he can still involve himself in, you know, with like a high quality of coaching that people obviously resonate with, with a style of, of social media that is obviously engaging and entertains people. And it's like, there's people from within the industry, uh, within the sport, and then also bureaucratically at the top of the sport that are tr kind of really trying to play whack-a-mole with all of the different routes that you've got to go out. Yeah, it was... I mean, it was difficult. And when it comes to things like that, Chris, like, like I said, and I learned my lesson when I went through that period after my band that, you know, there will always be obstacles. And I overcame so many obstacles throughout my career as a lifter that I learned that if, 
you've really got a burning desire to achieve. And I never did what I do now to prove anything to anyone else. I've got my own goals and my own drive. And you never want to lose sight of the fact that it is your own journey and they are your obstacles. And whenever there was another one put in front of me, I found another way around it. And you do have to have that certain element of resilience because, you know, you could take four different routes and get told no every single time. And yes, it's fucking heartbreaking. It hurts every single time. But the quicker and the better you get at taking the emotional side out of how that makes you feel and going, but I'm angry, I'm frustrated at what's been said, I'm annoyed at the result of that and going, right, what have I learned from that? How can I change? What's the next route? And the quicker that happens, the better your resilience gets. And it, it happens in ev everyday stuff. You get a parking ticket. You go and see that, the car, and you go, fuck, and you get angry, and you can let that ruin your whole day. You can have your whole day stewing on the fact that you've got to pay 60 pounds, and you won't pay it because you're so frustrated, and you'll let it go two weeks, and then all of a sudden, that 60 pound fine's now an 120 pound fine. We've all done it, and it's through bitter frustration that stops us moving forward and ultimately ends up in us in a worse place than where we were to begin with. You know, at that point where you got a parking ticket, if you put your two pound on the ticket, okay, it would have taken you, you would add to walk the 50 meters down the road to get the ticket to come back. You would have potentially avoided that 60 pound fine. That is your lesson that you learned. So by paying, ringing up, paying that parking ticket straight away and moving on with your day, lesson learned, you're able to achieve so much more for the rest of that day. And that is a simple I guess, analogy of the way that I would approach um, being resilient, resilient to any sort of negativities that I've had to, to deal with. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. There's a, a really good quote from Sam Harris where he talks about um, try and remain angry for more than five seconds without thinking about the fact that you're angry. And it's like the, the actual fleeting sensation of emotions, they're so short-lived but the reason that we hold on to them, and this is where a lot of the complications come from, is that it's very rarely about the actual emotion. It's about all of our thoughts and our responses to whatever that particular emotion is. So if you forget the situation. Forget the fact that you got the parking ticket. It's no longer about the parking ticket. It's about how <clears throat> you ruminate over the fact that you could have just walked that 50 meters, or you should have just done this, or you should have done that. And there's exactly, and it's internal. Yeah, it is, and you perpetuate it, which, and then you become the. After that, you get the second order and third order effects, which are where you become angry at yourself for perpetuating the thing that you didn't do in the first place. And it's so, it's so dangerous. It's a vicious cycle. It really is. There's, there's um, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. Anyone who's listening and needs an easy read, uh, well, it's not easy read. It's about uh, the concentration camps in Nazi Germany, but it is, it is an interesting read. Um, and this guy was a psychologist, uh, psychotherapist, um, who was a Jew, was captured, taken to the, um, concentration camps. And his synopsis to the entire book is that the final thing that people can take from you, which they can never take from you, the thing which can never be taken from you is your ability to choose your response to any given situation. And no one can ever, ever take that away from you. And you think of every situation that this guy's been in. He's been stripped from his family. He's watched his uh, wife and child die in front of him. He's had all of these horrific experiences. But 
the final thing that concentration camp guards couldn't take away from him was his ability to respond how he chose to any given situation. But but that's it, Chris, and it, it frustrates other people further in the way that you respond. I mean, it's still, you know, for me in a, in a, on a daily basis, the way that I, I deal with making a stupid mistake, um, I do stupid stuff all the time. I lose my keys. I lose tickets into car parks and I, I deal with it and I, and I pay the fee and fine or whatever and I move on. And it frustrates Lindell. She's like, how can you, you know, continually do those stupid things and it not frustrate you? And mm. it's the same with how can you get around, you know, not being able to do a seminar, but yet you'll still go on and do the next one. What do we do next? It frustrates people in the way that you respond to um, your own your own issues. And it's not necessarily, I think, a, a bad thing. I think it's just people deal with negativity, positivity, any sort of emotion very differently. And it, it's hard when, you know, two people don't respond to the, the, in the same way. Yeah, you're right. I think this probably strikes at the heart of one of the th- one of the reasons why some of the weightlifters might be um, trying to make you out to be more of a bad guy than you are because they're projecting their own inadequacies. The fact that you have had all of these barriers put in front of you and yet you've still got a flourishing online business, you're still selling out seminars. It's like that, I think, it's a, is it that Chris Brown song where the intro to it goes, I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club, you can't even get in. It's like, if you you sell five spots to a weightlifting seminar, how can you hate on the person that's selling out 30, even with all of these barriers in place? It's like, don't don't, don't try and make your own performance better by bringing somebody else's down. It's like, get on their level. But this happens so much in life, in, in the fitness industry. Instead of people working together and growing together and helping each other, cross pollination, it doesn't. People don't like seeing other people do well. And one thing that I've always done is never put fuel on the fire. You know, I get negative stuff that I have to deal with every single day. And the people that probably have to deal with it the most is the people closest to me. The people that are around me when I'm at my most vulnerable. The people that will see me, uh, like Linda will see me at night when I'm down, depressed about something you know they're the people that ultimately um are the ones that see you brunt the sort of um i guess when you're angry or when you're depressed because i will never project negativity across my social media which is what people want you to do but at the end of the day i do not use my social media platforms to be negative to talk about negativity it is a place to promote positivity and inspire and motivate people so you tend you tend up setting a lot of people because they don't get that keyboard war that reaction that they're always looking for mm, yeah you're right there's um thinking about a podcast i did with george mcgill which was mental models 101 and in that he talks about what he thinks is the the single greatest or the single most valuable characteristic of the 21st century and he calls it high agency and the perfect way to think about who your high agency friends are is to do this thought experiment so imagine that you're trapped in jail and you've got seven days to get out and you have to ring a friend like who is the friend that you're going to ring like that friend is the person who's got high agency 
and people who have high yeah. agency, you see them, you see them on the internet. We all know who they are, right? Like James has got high agency. Dylan's got high agency. You've got guys like, um, Ben and Lucy from my coach school, like these people who don't give a fuck, like don't conform to whatever's expected of them, decide that they're just going to go down their own way. Like Cam, Cam's got high agency as well. The guy that does your stuff on the back end, like he just fuck, like bollocks to it. I'm just going to jump on a flight. I'll go Bali. I'll go here. I'll do some content. I'll do this. Um, and yeah, that, that high agency approach is exactly why it allows people to make progress that others think is almost unbelievable, whether it be professionally, personally, emotionally, um, you know, in terms of their sport or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, that, that, I love that, that thought experiment. Who do you reckon you'd call if you needed to get, get yourself out of jail? Who would you ring? Jeff, like, Jeff, oh, is Jeff of course like, you would, yeah. Jeff, like, I call Jeff, like, with problems all the time because he is one of the smartest blokes I know. He's one of the best. Uh, he is a extremely resilient human and it, he is, he never takes no as an answer. Mm. And that's why I know whenever there's a problem that I can't solve, I put it in front of him and he will, it, it's a challenge for him. It's a challenge <laughs> for him to get that computer to say yes. And he's extremely good at it. And that is, you know, been a, like, as you know, a huge inspiration and motivation for me because that is the way he attacks everything. And I, I guarantee that has a massive contribution to why he's so successful in not only in life, but in, you know, his business and the career he's got as well. Yeah, high agency man. It, Jeff Jeff's a high agency guy. Although some of his shirts are like like <laughs> super high agency. I, I follow, Jeff, if you're listening, man, I'm I'm watching you on Instagram, and some of those shirts are outrageous. Well, he's just recently sent me. I think yesterday he sent me some cloth fabrics from Dolce and Gabbana, which are shades of purple to match a specific paint grade that Lamborghini are doing on their new. Uh, Lamborghini. <laughs> of course. I mean, why not? Why not, Jeff? Just do it. That's how he rolls. That is how he how rolls. He rolls. <laughs> oh, man, unbelievable. <laughs> He's not worried about what anyone's thinking. He Absolutely just not. <laughs> he just wants. He just wants a new see-through Louis Vuitton handbag that's like Perspex or whatever that crazy thing that we saw you with last time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I've still got that in the box. Have you it's not been open? <laughs> Honestly, um, so yeah, I, I I totally get it, man. And I think as well what you're talking about this kind of unfaltering positivity. You do show your vulnerability online, like we all do, right? But I I think you're right. It really really grinds on people when they don't get the response that they wanted, and that response could be something direct from you or the failing of your career or the, the even just the slowing of your career, right? Like when I met you, I think that weekend at Body Power was when you crossed 100K on Insta. And what are you at now? Like 250 or something? 220. Yeah. Like so that, you know, that's more than doubled in the space of just over a year, which is, you know, there's people- But I mean, even even then, Chris, like that has slowed. That has slowed, you know, and you uh, everyone's noticed it at the moment. Um, the way that Instagram algorithms are working, it's not how it was. I was at a period where I was making maybe 2,000 followers a week to now it's more like 250 followers a week, you know, and it's a constant battle, but it does play with your, with your psychology a little bit because mm. you put so much effort and time into content um, and if it doesn't get the right reaction or likes or things that your engagement that you're 
you're looking for, it has an effect on you. Um, and it's mad, you know, how Instagram have been playing around with the likes, I think, to combat really people's um, worry about what's liked so much and just post more about what you're passionate about and want to express. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing I've noticed from all the guys that, you know, I'm inspired by in, in the industry in a, on a business level is consistency. And if something doesn't work the first time, don't worry, don't give up. Keep on going it. Keep on doing it. Be original and keep doing your own thing. After we get off the call today, I'm going to do my next School of Sunny thing to post up. It's probably some of the worst engaged content that I've put online in terms of how many likes and views it gets. But yet it's probably the most valuable in terms of what I offer people in the videos. But it's five minutes long. People don't want to sit there for that long. Isn't it interesting? If you want to learn, you have to learn time. You have to. Mm. Isn't it interesting that we use, and this is, like everyone knows this, right? Everyone's seen this before. They've, they've taken ages crafting some beautiful photo and a caption that's really meaningful to them about some moment in their life. And they've put it on social media or if you're a, a, a content creator, maybe you've spent absolutely ages crafting a really difficult video. So I've got Joe Delaney, Shred Bundy, um, recently randomly did a video that was like um, how to do a food shop from Aldi for three pounds a day. And this video banged so hard, like one million views in the space of a couple of weeks. And this guy's worked on his YouTube channel for probably about 10 years and he's got to 100K subs, right? Then in the space yeah. of another month, he's done 50K. And you just think like, what is it about this? And it is this total random, almost random lottery chance of winners and losers. And you're right. I, I do wonder moving forward for social media, if they were to get rid of the likes, whether that would signal people to post content which would be more valuable. Because we've all seen it, right? You take ages doing this thing, put this really beautiful photo up, and you go, oh, that didn't go so well. Then you post like a random funny thing of you falling over in a pool or of you like looking semi-lean with a bit of a tan. And bang. It goes crazy. Like there was that one, there was that but- one that you'd done that was like, I think it's just a close feet uh a clean grip snatch on a pl- on a red plate back in Bristol, on a, on a plate, yeah. and it did like a quarter of a million views. And then there's some things where you've ne- nearly taken your own head off, and it's like, oh, it's like nothing. It's, <laughs> it's a combination of lighting, timing, you know, the everything that you know people people are looking for in a video. But it's like TikTok. I don't know if you've had a play around with it yet. No, not yet. Um, it's the it's the new sort of I guess Instagram. It used to be musically. Um, oh yeah okay i know i know what that is yeah shouting about it because it's kind of like the next platform um so i'm playing around on it at the moment um just more than anything to um be ahead of the curve see what people like what people don't like but it's a very young audience on there Mm. and um lindell's done a video on there recently and she got 3.6 million views on it and all it is, is me and her stood um, looking fat, like holiday blow, and then turning around. And then like I'm tensing and she's like doing a model pose, 3.6 million views. She's now got like 25,000 or 30,000 followers on TikTok overnight, pretty much. It's, it's so bizarre, it's crazy. man. <laughs> it is. I would like to say, so I, I get this as well, right? Like some of the some of the times when I'm posting up content and it's different for me because this podcast's a passion project, although 
you know, mm. increasingly it's... But it's no. growing. I looked on the channel today and it's already like on YouTube at 10,000 subscribers. Yeah. It had probably one, one when I was on it last yeah. time. Yeah. I think, I think when you came on, we were probably on about two and a half. Um, and yeah, like it, it is, we crossed a million downloads the other week. Um, we've just hit 10K subs. We're about to hit a million views on YouTube. So yeah, it, but one of the problems yeah. is, and everyone will know this, right? With regards to their life generally, and social media is like a, um, a very concentrated form of what we broadcast out in our lives in any case. It, it's a reflection of real life anyway. People sometimes do things that they know will receive um, social reinforcement and will make them feel good because other people will make, it'll be on the surface level quite viscerally satisfying, but might not yeah. actually be the most meaningful or the most value-adding. And that's what you're talking about with the Sunni, what's it called? Sunni school. School of Sunny, school yeah, of Sunny. School of Sunny. But that's the thing that like, I know I could post, repost a video from a year ago of me nearly chopping my head off doing a lift, <laughs> which will get those views that will make me sleep happy tonight. However, I'm going to invest. <laughs> that's going to make me no money, but I'm going to invest an hour instead of doing my School of Sunny, which is going to provide a lot of quality education and may result in two or three people signing up to the academy, which is going to make me money. Mm. You know and. For for a lot of time, for a long time, and it's something that I've definitely started to realise. I'm going to swap. Yeah, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, feel good. Yeah, it's um, definitely something that I've realised over time that in order to grow, you have to start investing in you know people to help you, other staff members, invest in you know new technology, new software, because there's only so far you can go nowadays on your own back and you've only got so much time to do it in. So it's definitely something that over time I've started thinking about doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that we do this business principles series, which we've, we've started doing recently. And in that one of the ones that we haven't got round to, but we'll probably take up a full episode on is outsourcing um, areas that you are weak in. So I remember one of the first big episodes that I did was with Mike Cashew, guy that owns brute strength, two times CrossFit yeah. affiliate cup, uh, games champion to like in the team in like 2010, 2011. And, um, I, I remember asking him about like, how, how did you grow? Cause his missus owns WAG working against gravity, uh, a D and then he owns like brute strength. It's like fucking hell. Like how, how do you have two people that are both CEOs at like such like high level companies in the same industry? And he said that both of them just do the same thing, which is they know exactly where their strengths and their weaknesses lie and they employ people ruthlessly to fill in where those weaknesses are yeah well i've just i've just hired a, a videographer but so one of the tips for me when it just comes to when it work, comes to working with people instead of just paying someone a set fee give them skin in the game give them a stake in in what you're doing and it is far more motivating for that person to work harder to grow with you and to grow your business especially when you're starting out especially when you don't necessarily have the cash flow to pay someone a wage you know i've just taken on a videographer and because i've always wanted to do youtube and i don't have the time to sit down and edit a video so instead of saying look how much does it cost to put together a video i said look you'll have 20 percent of all the revenue that we make on youtube there is a lot of scale then for that person to put in time and effort to making that video great mm -hmm. and you know i think people then tend to take a lot more time into getting something done well if you give them that sort of incentive.
skin in the game is the perfect analogy for that. So I use that across most of my businesses, if not all of them. Good example, Video Guy Dean, who everyone that's watching will know, he'll be the guy that's editing this right now. Yeah. He takes he takes 50% of all of the revenue that we make on YouTube. I brought him on board with every project I've just done. We just did our first brand collab with Reebok UK for the Nano 9 release. We split that straight yeah. down the middle. I went and did a, um, a Christmas seminar for Communicorp, which is one of the UK's biggest broadcasting companies. They own Smooth Radio and Capital FM and a few other bits. And uh, that, again, brought Dean in on that, and we keep on going. And, you know, now he's got yeah. things. He's incentivized to do that. And on a lot of people ask about the club promo um, and how that ties in. A good example of this is um, when we go and run an event in a nightclub, there's two ways that we can do things. We can do a dry hire, which is it's £1,000 a night or £500 a night or £2,000 a night, whatever it might be. Or we say you're on 20% of the door or 30% of the door or however much percent of the door. And obviously, if you have something which is a percentage, it protects you on the bottom end because if you've got low revenue, which inevitably everyone has, everyone has low revenue when they first start a business, right? It means that that Mm -hmm. person isn't this huge liability which you've got to keep on shelling out, digging into your reserves, which then down the line mean that you invest your money less effectively moving forward. But what it does for the person who is being offered the deal is, yeah, maybe they lose a little bit on the bottom end, but on the top end, when the business really starts shifting, that's when they get repaid. So it's all well and good. Everyone wins. A venue comes to us and says, oh, well, we want £1,000 a night. And we go, okay, well, let's say that you, you take 20% of the door. Oh, well, you know, in the mid- depths of December, they might walk away with 500 quid. But on Halloween, they might walk away with five grand. So you're like, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. It's good, man. So what's what's next? You've got Aussie summer, Aussie, Aussie summer, but Christmas coming, coming up, right? to Aussie summer. Yes, that's it. So for me, um, I spent so much of this year traveling. Um, I still love doing my seminars. You know, I've started doing retreats now um, as well, which definitely offer people a lot more than just improvement in their lifting. I get to show people um, the beauties of Bali um, in meeting new people. Um, it definitely brings people out of themselves and takes them out of their comfort zones. I'm having more of an impact on people than just making them better at lifting, which, you know, is very fulfilling for me and something that I'm very much enjoying. Uh, I still love traveling and I still love doing my seminars and that's getting popular and popular again. But moving forward this year, I'm not going to be zigzagging um, the planet doing seminars Um, as much as I love doing them. I'm going to be a little bit smarter about the ones that I'm doing. Um, and try and just spend a little bit more time here up now till till Christmas, uh, get into a good routine, get feeling good about myself again, um, get in shape, get a six-pack for the summer, um, get lifting heavy. I've got one trip to um, Saudi Arabia to coach um, someone at their house, so a private coaching session Mate, in Saudi Arabia, which no is going to be cool for a weekend. That's insane. Yeah, which is that's exciting man you know it's something new that someone just reached out to me offering me that so i'm going to be doing that and you know who knows what's going to be coming next but definitely for this for for the near near future um it's just getting back into my routine and yeah simple stuff brother only in saudi arabia would someone have the cash to be able to fly you from oz all the way over there (laughs) oh my god Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lyndall's going to have to make sure that you don't come back as that part of an arranged marriage or something like that. And you just well, get wiped off while you're over there. Even, <laughs> could, could, can't even really, I couldn't even really take Lyndall. 
Oh, shit, yeah, of course not. I've got, yeah. I've got to go to the embassy and get it all signed off and everything this week. So that's serious. Yeah, it's not a, but how exciting, you know? That's um, sick, man. And then I think January we'll start traveling again, gonna do some seminars in the Middle East. Uh, January, and then I've just today sorted out seminars for Toronto um, in Feb, and then I've also got another training retreat in Bali in February. So I'm up to February of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much planned so i'm trying to go a little bit further ahead this time than mm. normally yeah 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 right. just spinning the plates all the time toronto in february is gonna what? be absolutely freezing that's what i've heard but i'm kind of excited for that because it'll make a nice change after the nice summer mm. um here and that means i might be able to do some skiing <laughs> nice yeah that is good man. what about you what have you got on the cards bro um so we've just had freshers week short term long term uh, freshers week just out the way um, which is always a bit of a brutal time of the year, but we've got we launched a brand new one half million pound super club uh, in Newcastle, which is great. Uh, then we picked up a new Friday at quite a prestigious club, which is ticking over really nicely. And then the Thursday's still solid, so the club stuff's ticking over. Uh, we're doing more brand collabs, which is like really cool and different, and kind of not a direction that I'd seen the channel necessarily going in, but I really enjoy. So Lucy and the guys. At, um, uh, Reebok have been really good. I'm now officially tied in with Soreen, uh, which is hilarious. After like <laughs> that was your dream. <laughs> I know, that was your dream. This is my dream sponsorship. And, and you've had some amazing people like on this on this podcast, man. Some really like interesting people, which is cool because <sighs> yeah. that's always what you talked about. That's all I want, man. I just want to have more interesting conversations. That's all Rogan does, right? Like Rogan does at scale just what everyone would probably want to spend their afternoon doing anyway, which is just sitting down, having a coffee, and having a chat with some guy that's crazy interesting. Ah, that's something. So I was going to mention this earlier on. When you were talking about um, resilience and sort of continuing to go past barriers, the guy that I spoke to last night, his book's down there, a guy called Keith Cooper, who wrote um, The Contact Paradox. So this guy has been writing this book on and off for 10 years, right? He went through three dozen publishers and lost two agents in the time it took him to write this book. So the book's about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, why we should be concerned about um, METI, which is uh, outgoing sending messages as opposed to receiving. Like it alerts us Mm -hmm. to um, other civilizations which might be out there and real like just cool as fuck, big picture thinking shit about what would an alien civilization that's maybe millions or billions of years advanced, what would they look like? How would they um, react to finding that we're in the in the universe, right? And this guy's gone through, he's been sacked by or dropped by two agents. He submitted the manuscript to like three dozen publishers. Um, and then he ends up getting picked up by Bloomsbury, who were the people who ended up doing it. And the yeah. they'd already rejected it once, like five years previous, but he goes back to them. And when you were talking about, you know, if you have something which you genuinely care about and you keep on doing it and you feel and believe in it enough, it's so wishy-washy, right? Because you see these quotes online, these motivational quotes, like, you know, just keep grinding, this fucking Gary Vee hustle and grind yeah. bullshit. Like, but... Increasingly, I'm surrounded by people who are living, breathing examples that that is an effective strategy. And this Keith Cooper guy, he's talking to me, and it was the first it the first podcast he's done on the on the book. And he finished with this little segment. He's not like a he's a fucking astrophysicist, right? Like he's not an emotional dude. But he finished with this little segment yeah. where he was like, you know, I've been dropped by two agents, three dozen publishers, and ended up getting picked up by someone that rejected it the first time. If there's someone out there that's got a project that they believe in. 
I'm just telling you that if you do keep on grafting at it, that, you know, it'll come out the way that you want in the end. And that's exactly it, man. You know, if, you know, my life's been um, consumed by this beautiful, wonderful, weird sport of Olympic weightlifting. I've now managed to turn it into something that gives me a livelihood. And it's still something I'm extremely passionate about. And it's, you know, through all of that, it's still something that spits out some terrible days for me, some very dark times, some bad news. It doesn't stop me continuing to want to achieve my goals, you know, and, and give back to the sport, give back to the people that are invested in this sport. And, you know, even for me now, we're looking at building a gym in Soweto um, in February. I'm going to oh, South shit. Africa. Oh, shit. What's to, happening with that? Yeah. So I'm going to South Africa. This guy reached out to me last year. He came to my seminar, my training retreat and said, look, there's this um, small gym in Soweto, really deprived area in South Africa and um, they're training and they sent me the photos of the conditions and it was terrible they had broken bars and they said they're doing something great there and they're taking the kids off the streets and getting them into lifting and um, I spoke to this guy called Katy and he had um, his dream is to get someone from Soweto to the Olympic Games and I listened to his story and it just resonated with me so much obviously with with my childhood dream and you know, I thought I could do something to help these people. And I always like ride straight back to that moment where, you know, I needed help and support to get to the Olympic Games. And Jeff gave me that support and help that I needed along with other people along the way. And, you know, I'm now in a position where I've got uh, an audience and I've got um, an income and I want to help, you know, so um, basically, we're going to be building a gym in in Soweto, and hopefully, you know, it's going to be the first one of these charities it's called Lifting Dreams, the charity, and um, we're working with a few different partners to raise money. We've got our first fundraisers uh, in a few weeks. In I'm doing like an open training session in Sydney. Um, we also met a winemaker in Barossa at one of my seminars a few weeks ago. So we're going to be producing my own wine and all the proceeds from the wine is going to help <laughs> to help build the floor at the gym in Soweto. And we've got lots of crazy um, ideas, but that's fun too. You know, it's, it's that eventually will be what this will be about when the Sunny Webster Academy is making um, enough money for me to live the life that I want. It'll be about doing cool shit and helping, helping other people, you know, achieve their dreams. Mate, that's so cool! Like the chance, the the opportunity to to help a underprivileged community like that's sick. And also the fact that you're making your own wine, like I, it, I have to say, it doesn't surprise me. Like <laughs> in the nicest possible way, it doesn't surprise me. Um, but man, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I know that everyone will be super mm. super happy to hear from you again. And we we don't we're not allowed to leave it this long until the next one. I need to get you back on soon. No, so. of course not. Well, we'll have some more updates. I know, soon. man. I but, know. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me back on, Chris. And thank you to everyone that's tuned back in to to listen to this and supporting Chris's dream and Chris's channel. Um, it's you know I even find them extremely listening to listen to. So thank, thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Enjoy, and uh, I'll see you the next time that you're back in the UK. Take care, brother. Cheers, man. <laughs>